Hello to you. Welcome to the weekend dumpster fire. That is the Coin Market Recap <laughs> podcast with Connor and Molly Jane. How are you, Molly Jane? Oh, I am fantastic. I really like living near a dumpster fire. I don't know about you. <laughs> I just love the aroma it gives, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so smoky. <laughs> so smoky. So bin juicy. <laughs> Well, important announcement, because we have a birthday in the house. Oh! (laughs) How are you celebrating? I can't believe you're calling out my birthday, but we didn't call out your birthday. It's a bit... It's a bit gauche for me to call out my own birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, fair. Well... How I'm celebrating, if any of our listeners are Eurovision fans, (gasps) I am going to a concert of the Italian winners from last year, years ago, Manescat. Up, really? Mm -hmm. That's going to be so good. I know. I know it is. Oh, I'm (laughs) acutely jealous. That's going to be amazing. Well, incidentally, the Eurovision Song Contest is being held near my hometown next year, which is going to be surreal. Is it? It is. It's being held in Liverpool. Oh, do, do you want, should we go? Well, good luck. I mean, as soon as they announced it was being held in Liverpool, like the hotel rooms became like $30,000 a night. <laughs> I would camp on the street. <laughs> yeah. My sister lives in Liverpool, so we can make this work. Mm, uh, let's talk offline. Yes, yeah, I have let's some do that. thoughts. <laughs> I almost forgot. We're doing a crypto news podcast here. <laughs> We've got lots to talk about. We're going to be talking about Sam Bankman Fried's never ending interviews. He's spoken to the New York Times. He's spoken to Good Morning America. He's spoken to a crypto YouTuber no one's heard of. There's all sorts of things going on. We'll find out what he's been saying. Also, we'll talk about the knock on effects that FTX is bankrupt is having, namely the fact that BlockFi has now entered into its own bankruptcy proceedings. Plus, Elon Musk, a third crypto executive, dies in a month. Kraken's announced that it's going to be cutting jobs. Miami nightclubs are suffering because of the bear market. And the crypto literacy quiz announces that just 9% of Americans can accurately describe what cryptocurrencies are, despite the fact 32% are investors. Give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at Molly J. Zuckerman and at Connor Sefton. This week's crypto headlines. So, uh, I guess the best place to start, Molly Jane, is with Sam Bankman-Fried, who, despite the fact he's resigned as the CEO of FTX, is everywhere at the moment. He is everywhere. If you watched Thursday's mm-hmm. Stephanopoulos interview on Good Morning America, Stephanopoulos said that Bankman reached out himself against all advice of all lawyers to make sure the interview happened. Yes, and that's a really important theme, isn't it? He does seem to be ignoring all legal advice. He was speaking to Tiffany Fong. She's a crypto YouTuber who started doing YouTube videos after she lost a lot of her life savings when Celsius Network collapsed earlier this year. And effectively, Molly Jane... And I'm to quoting directly here, Sam Bankman-Fried told lawyers who were urging him to stay quiet and to stop apologizing to basically go fuck themselves. Let's take a listen. First thing they said after that was, Sam, we have only one thing to tell you. 
you have to promise that you never, ever, ever say you fucked up again. I told them to go fuck themselves. I don't think they know what they're talking about. I mean, whatever. They, they know what they're talking about in an extremely narrow domain of litigation. They don't understand the broader context of the world. Like, if you're a complete dick about everything, even if it narrowly avoids making moderately embarrassing statements, it's not helping anything. And um, we'll, we'll come on to the Good Morning America interview in a little bit, Molly Jane, but we, we signposted this New York Times Dealbook Summit last week, didn't we? Because there were a lot of crypto enthusiasts who were deeply upset that SBF was actually giving this interview to Andrew Ross Sorkin. And it happened on Wednesday and it was fairly, fairly illuminating, wasn't it? A lot was said. A lot was said. A lot wasn't said. Um, there what were a lot of. What wasn't said for you? What wasn't said? You know, it wasn't until the George Stephanopoulos interview that mm. I started to feel like the right questions were being asked in the right way. Really? Because because Tiffany and then Andrew Sorkin asked, "Did you know about the misuse of customer funds?" And every mm. time. SBF would say, well, as a CEO, I'm so sorry, I take responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Alameda, you know, is Alameda, just these sort of very vague answers. And George Stephanopoulos asked three or four times and kept circling back until he got to the point where he said, you're not answering the question. Mm. This is a yes or no question. Mm. Did you know that customer deposits were being used to fund Alameda's creditors, even though it goes directly against the terms of service. And then he read the terms of service out loud. Mm. And he got Sam to admit, I did not know there was improper use of the funds. I mean, he has a whole theory about margin trading and margin calls, which mm. believe it if you, if you will. But I did not think that the book deal, the deal book interview got anywhere close to just the shut up, yes or no. And that's what Stephanopoulos did. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point there because Tiffany Fong, by her own admission, isn't a journalist. Andrew Ross Sorkin, who did Deal Book Summit interview, is a financial journalist. So he's going to very much come at this from the prism of finance. George Stephanopoulos is a mainstream journalist for one of America's biggest breakfast programs. And he's going to ask the questions, firstly, that the public will want to know. And secondly, um, he'll ask them in a punter friendly way and he you know won't take no for an answer i think that this is probably the interview that everyday ftx users will benefit most from i do agree with that and he stephanopoulos said that he said i don't know anything about finance or crypto so i'm going to ask you this question yes or no it was that, great <laughs> that can be a blessing and a curse because yes, yes um if you if you know stuff about crypto sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees Whereas if you don't, you know, you'll see the glaring thing and ask that question. And oftentimes that question may not have occurred to anybody else. Yeah, people are really fixated. I think in crypto, you know, I saw some things on Twitter. What did SBF mean when he said the Bitcoin node was overloading during the bank run? You know, focusing mm. on these sort of nitty gritty pieces yeah. when to the mainstream media, potentially, to users, and to me, my question is, did you know you were committing fraud or not? So let's focus on a couple of lines that jumped out at me in the deal book interview first. And he said that he didn't ever try to commit fraud on anyone. He was excited about the prospects of FTX just a month ago, and he's been shocked by what has happened. 
And he also said this about FTX US. I mean, I'm deeply sorry about what happened. Um, here's, you know, the long and short of what happened. And, and I'll start by saying, uh, just to, to make a distinction here, you look at the US platform, you look at the international platform. The US platform uh, is a US regulated platform with American users. To my knowledge, that's fully solvent. That's fully funded. And, uh, you know, I believe that withdrawals could be opened up today and everyone could be made whole from that, that none of these problems plague the, the US platform. Do you believe that FTX US is solvent and that people could be made whole and it's just, um, you know, just like this? I just, I'm an optimist and mm. I don't see the worst in people and I don't tend to believe in conspiracy theories. So if that was possible, I can't really think of a reason why the relatively well-known and respected bankruptcy, like appointed CEO wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Yes. Um, I, I quite agree with you. In fact, there was a worrying um, line for FTX international users in the Tiffany Fong interview that he did, where he was saying that he thinks FTX international customers may only get 20 to 25 cents on the dollar. Yeah. I just, there are a lot, he says a lot of things, you know, he also said that, Eight minutes after he signed Chapter 11, yeah. $4 billion in financing appeared. Okay, I'd love to believe you. Show me the receipts. Yeah. <laughs> From whom? Yeah, he was almost suggesting, Molly Jane, that he was being coerced into this bankruptcy proceedings. And he, he actually didn't want to do it. And he regretted doing it. I mean, it doesn't seem like that. He has said that multiple times. But he hasn't said who coerced him. His parents? Carolyn? You know, who was the one coercing him into this? Well, during the Deal Book Summit, and again during Good Morning America, there was a bit of a focus on how all of this has affected Sam Bankman-Fried's net worth. Now, bearing in mind, Forbes estimated last year that his net worth had peaked at $25 billion. But have a listen to this about what his net worth is now. I don't have any, you know, hidden funds here. Um, everything I have, I'm, I'm, you know, disclosing, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm down to. Uh, I think I have one working credit card left. I think it, I think it might be a, a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Um, in in that bank account. Um, I uh, and uh, I mean, I, you know, everything that I had, uh, even all the loans I had were, were those, you know, those were all things I was reinvesting. In, in the businesses that I'd, I'd put everything I had in, into FTX. $100,000, Molly Jane. That's quite, that's quite a fall. <laughs> it's quite a fall. I would argue that to some people, that would be their whole world. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But, um, and actually, I would also argue that for a 30-year-old, that's a fantastic amount of savings there. You could really do something with that. <laughs> that's chunky. That's chunky. But then again, when you did have $25.6 you know, it's a bit of a fall. Now, here's the well, thing. Well, well, well. <laughs> question, you... though. Serious question. Given the fact that he's all about giving away his wealth to charity, is he going <laughs> to give that away? Or is he going to keep that for himself? I mean, <laughs> I also... I don't necessarily believe that $25 billion valuation if mm. the majority was made up of FTT tokens, which was yes. his version of magic internet money that turned out to be literally worthless magic internet money. Yeah. So it's less 
And this is the same thing that happened with Luna. It's less that people that had all of this money got it stolen. It's more that they still have it. Mm -hmm. It's just worth zero. And I guess in Sam's case, it might be worth something, but it's locked in an exchange that he bankrupted. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Elsewhere, um, Andrew Ross Sorkin talked or asked about drug-fueled nights. And there was this pretty comical response from SBF. Let's take a listen to that. I had my first sip of alcohol after my 21st birthday. And I think I, I have maybe half a glass of uh, of alcohol a year, roughly speaking. Uh, there were no wild parties here. When we had parties, we'd play board games. And, you know, 20% of people would have three quarters of a beer each or something like that. Um, and, you know, the rest of us would would not drink anything. I see, you know, any legal drug use uh, around me, you know, at the office at, at these parties, like, and, 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 and when I say parties there, I mean, like, you know, having people over for dinner is what that meant. I mean, that sounds like a great night out, Molly Jane. I mean, for anyone that saw me at Solana Breakpoint in Lisbon knows that I did have a board games night. <laughs> yeah. And they also had to install speed bumps at the bar for you, I heard. <laughs> 10 martini molly (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes so uh, loads and loads of lines and actually good morning america asked sam bankman fried specifically about all of these reports of polyamorous relationships he said that reports he and carolyn ellison were in a polyamorous relationship were false His relationship with her only lasted six months. And he said, I lived with a bunch of monogamous couples when I was here, some of whom got married over the course of their time here. I don't know of any polyamorous relationships within FTX. You know what this sounds like to me? Mm. It sounds like band camp. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, just a bunch of nerds put in a place. There's no rules. Uh, like a theater camp sort of situation. So Mm. I also think that Sam at this point is on the path towards becoming a pathological liar. So I will take everything he says with a heavy dose of salt. But, you know, at at least with everything he's going through, he can take comfort in his 12 girlfriends, you know, (laughs) every every silver lining. Uh, Right, before we play some clips from this Good Morning America interview, we've got to listen to the trailer because it's incredible. I can't imagine what it feels like to go from $20 billion to $100,000. Yeah. How did he go from crypto hero to crypto supervillain? Today, a lot of people look at you and see Bernie Madoff. GMA Tomorrow, Sam Bankman-Fried, one-on-one with George Stephanopoulos. What happened to the billions people invested with him? What is the talent that you have that convinced people they should invest billions of dollars? He was on top of the world. You got all these celebrities. You did it in a big way. Yeah. Have you gotten calls from any of the celebrities who endorsed you? But now... Are you worried about going to jail? And what led to this? That's a pretty stunning admission. The breaking new interview tomorrow on ABC's Good Morning America. I want to do this on the podcast, Molly Jane, just like today. Molly Jane <laughs> talks about Eurovision and her birthday. I mean, we can. You just did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just brilliant. Why does American News do this? I don't know. I I really enjoy having American news on in the background. Do you? <laughs> I, I do. Yeah, I do. 
I usually, it's usually NPR. You know, it's not usually Good Morning oh, that's, America. That's highbrow stuff, though. <laughs> like when I was in a, when I was in Miami for Bitcoin 2022 um, earlier this year, I'd normally get up and I'd turn on the local news, and there'd be loads and loads of thunderstorm alerts. And then <laughs> there was this one story where this news anchor completely had the wrong tone of voice for the story she was talking about because some poor man had had like his face like practically gnawed by a dog and she's like this morning you won't believe this a man has had his face ripped off by a dog (laughs) and i'm like oh my god why are you telling the story this way this is a sad story your american accent is also (laughs) creeping up in there (laughs) Is, is it good it sounds like when my russian friends try to pretend they're not russian uh I wonder what would happen if I tried to pretend not to be British. I think we should have an entire podcast where you are American and I am British. Yes, we should. But your your British accent sounds like you're in pain, though. Your American accent. <laughs> you know what? Let's just stop insulting each other. This yes. I see this maybe like an April 1st kind of podcast. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Just... I, like, I like this. Mm-hmm. Right. So talk to us a bit more about the Good Morning America interview. What were the lines that jumped out at you from this? I mean, I've mentioned them before. I just mm. liked how Stephanopoulos kept saying. And even when the conversation changed, he was like, I got to go back to this. Yes or no. Did mm. you commit fraud? And Sam, I mean, it's it's like you look up a textbook for someone that is not telling the truth. And it's like lack of eye contact, fidgeting, the tip of your nose is itchy, you blush. And he's just doing all of those things at mm. once. So it's very hard to take seriously his answers. But this isn't a new thing, though, is it? Because SBF has always been quite an awkward presence. I think there's a difference between being awkward and lying on television. That's a strong allegation. You're saying he's lying on television. I did not believe his answers about not knowing that customer funds were used improperly. I don't believe that. Well, let's take a listen to SBF talking to George Stephanopoulos. A lot of people look at you and see Bernie Madoff. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's who I am at at all, but... I understand why they're saying that people lost money and people lost a lot of money. And I mean, at the end of the day, look, there's a question of what happened and why and who did what, um, what caused the, the meltdown. And I think that is reads very differently, right? When you, when you look at the classic Bernie Madoff story, there was no real business there. The whole thing, as I understand it, I think was, was just one one big Ponzi scheme, right? FTX, that was a real business. I, I am no cryptocurrency expert. I'm no finance expert, yep. but I don't think you answered my question. I was asking, yep. did you know that FTX deposits were used to pay off Alameda creditors? Uh, I don't know of FTX deposits being used to pay off Alameda creditors. You say Stephanopoulos differently every time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, um, so yes, um, lots of interviews, as we've said. Molly Jane, 
why is he keeping on talking? Should he stop talking? Or, like we talked about last week, is it a good thing that he's bringing all of this out into the open because it could potentially help any criminal investigations or class action, <laughs> class action lawsuits that are out there? Well, I, ha- I have a few different views about this. Yeah. From a personal perspective, which is someone that does not like to see people humiliated in public, I would like him to stop. Mm. Um, I just... I would I would really think it's time for people that are around him that are smarter than him that are more emotionally detached from the situation to say Sam you have to stop. But the thing is they have been and he's not listening. He's so not listening. What's the answer there? Uh, you know, I I maybe 1% believe in the like He's like matrixing all of us. That's like definitely not the right reference here. But this is like an incredibly sophisticated PR move that Mm. is only intended to endear him in the minds of the public. I believe in that theory, maybe 1%. Not 0%, but like maybe 1%. And I wrote about this in my musing for the newsletter this week. And I've said this many times on the podcast. People in crypto, especially young people that got rich really, really quickly don't have the same sort of gravitas associated with their public personas that people that got rich or or famous in the more traditional ways do. Mm. And so, like, for example, if you're an actress starting out and at first you're in small roles and then you're slowly recognized and then you start to build up money and then you start to go on talk shows, over time, even if you don't have a publicist, you sort of learn how to interact with the public. Yeah. In crypto, because you get rich so incredibly quickly and you become a celebrity overnight in this very niche way, you never have any sort of lessons learned or experiences about how to change your communication styles with the rest of the world. Yeah. And I think that this is like a really glaring instance of someone that got rich overnight, quote unquote, like overnight, and never had like the the slow burn into I'm a public figure now. That was just missing. It's like a baby that like instantly walks instead of crawls. You yeah. actually you actually miss some things in your brain development, which is why my mother used to push me back down on the floor as a child <laughs> mm. <laughs> because I refused to crawl. I think Sam Bankman was a baby that just, you know, shut up and walked and we're seeing the effects of that. Yeah, I mean, I will predict, I think we're going to kind of like hit a wall now. I don't think we're going to see as many mainstream media interviews featuring Sam Bankman-Fried because we've already had New York Times, we've already had Good Morning America. I think the appetite for this will kind of dry up. So I'm I not... actually was booked on BBC to talk about him yesterday and they cancelled it because they didn't cover the story. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's, that's interesting to know. Yep. But um, George, um, our um, colleague at ABC News, just George, oh, um, George. Okay. actually yeah. gave some interesting color to CNN. He described the interview as wild. And he said that SBF seems like a lonely, sad, regretful, stressed man. He said that I've never had an interview of that length where the person in the middle of an extreme crisis, right in the middle of it, had so much to say and wanted to burden himself in such a way. And it is interesting that... he, put, he touches on something there. SBF, whether or not, like you say, he's completely telling the truth or not, really is laying himself bare. And the one thing I would say, Molly Jane, is I, if, if I was in a position where I wanted to lie or mislead, I wouldn't do all these interviews. 
why if 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 you're going out there and not telling the truth why would you give so many different interviews i think that you can believe a truth right that is not the truth yeah yeah no that's fair no i agree so there's been all sorts of other different bits and bobs of lines we've seen that amazon is now planning an eight episode drama into ftx uh, which is probably the least surprising news I've heard. And also, there's some book rights that Apple have snapped up indicating that a rival TV show may be in the works. And I mean, it is a made-for-Hollywood story, isn't it? It is. It's a little complex. Yeah. But if they do it in the same way they did the big short, then it could weirdly do a lot for crypto education. <laughs> yeah. Just before we move on, though, I do want to talk about the Bahamas, because over the last weekend, uh, the attorney general there gave a really interesting news conference. It was actually a public address. It lasted for about 23 minutes. And the, the, the thrust of this news conference was to kind of basically defend the Bahamas and defend the way it regulates. Because of course, given what's happened to FTX and its collapse, there is now a lot of scrutiny on the Bahamas. It's like, is their regula- did their regulations fail? Did they do enough? Were their regulations too lax? This is what Attorney General Ryan Pinder had to say. The Securities Commission, our Financial Intelligence Unit, and the Financial Crimes Unit of the Royal Bahamas Police Force will continue to investigate the facts and circumstances regarding FTX's insolvency crisis and any potential violations of Bahamian law. They will hold accountable any responsible companies and individuals and act in cooperation with other regulatory agencies and law enforcement bodies, both here in the Bahamas and in other countries that are affected. These events remind us of the lessons learned from securities and other financial regulation about the need for strong cross-border cooperation. The public worldwide will be best served by a strong international regulatory cooperation. That means more jurisdictions taking up the challenge, following our lead, and implementing strong regulatory frameworks. So if anything, he says that the Bahamian Securities Commission deserves praise. He says that they've moved quickly and decisively to suspend FTX's license. No other country could move as fast. Does the Bahamas have something to answer here, Molly Jane? Or do you think that they've done everything by the book? I think that we're not going to know right now, but mm. we're definitely going to know in the future when uh, we will understand more fully why residents in the Bahamas were able to withdraw money and who those people were. I mean, Sam said during the DealBook interview, I did this because I did not need the Bahama, the Bahamian government mad at me. I saw a rumor online. It was the Bahamas attorney general's sister that withdrew money, et cetera. So I think mm. that until we understand what happened there, we can't really give the Bahamas a round of applause for their reaction. Yeah. Well, there was a particularly strong line from Ryan Pinder, and he kind of was trying to say to governments around the world, you know, this is your problem as well as ours. Any attempt to lay the entirety of this debacle at the feet of the Bahamas because FTX is headquartered here would be a gross oversimplification of reality. 
the dozens and dozens of companies involved, registered in numerous jurisdictions across the world, the scope of related parties, including some of the world's most sophisticated investors, demonstrate the cross-border, multi-jurisdictional nature of this event. FTX, it's important to remember, was a group of like 130 companies. FTX Digital Markets was licensed in the Bahamas. It was based in the Bahamas. Alameda Research wasn't. And there are loads and loads of smaller companies that are based everywhere from Japan to Switzerland. They're all over the place. It No, it is everyone. And also, like as I've said, when with Do Kwan and Luna Terra... If your users are truly global mm. and you're in some ways using a decentralized technology or a cryptocurrency or et cetera, I think there are so many unanswered questions about how to regulate and how to prosecute, honestly. Yes. yes. Do you think SBF will end up facing criminal charges? When it first broke, I was convinced. Mm. And I'm less convinced now. What about you? Um, uh, why, why do you say that first? Um, why, why are you less convinced now? I'm less convinced now because the U.S. government has not issued any sort of statement or investigation publicly, as far as I know. There's no wire fraud allegations. There's no nothing coming from the government at this time. But bearing in mind, especially in the U.S., oftentimes charges only end up coming a couple of years down the track, especially in the crypto space. That is true. And they definitely could be working on a private investigation that will then, you know, come forward. I just, I expected, because the scale was so big, I expected it to happen more quickly. Like Bernie Madoff, Mm. the comparison was made in the Stephanopoulos interview. I'm not saying that his Ponzi scheme was uncovered and he was arrested the next day, but the Mm. government, I believe, had something to say about it pretty soon. Yeah. And the government right now just seems weirdly silent to me if if jail time is going to be the result. But I, I say that without really any expertise in the matter. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the Bahamas, I mean, they were trying to stress that they've been keeping their cards quite close to their chest. They've been confirming that there are, you know, civil and criminal investigations into FTX ongoing, but they weren't really delving into the details of what's being looked into. And um, they said, just because we aren't giving you a running commentary on what's going on, doesn't mean that investigations aren't taking place behind the scenes. Yeah. But in the U S government hasn't said that. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, would he see jail time in the Bahamas? I'm not sure. I was really thinking from my American-centric point. Let's talk about the collateral damage associated with FTX's demise. And um, in fact, it's quite prescient because um, CZ, Binance's CEO, did predict that there would be further crypto contagion as a result of FTX's bankruptcy. And we now know that BlockFi is going to be the latest company to file for bankruptcy. And in a way, Molly Jane, this isn't really surprising, is it? Because BlockFi and FTX's um, fates were entwined, weren't they, really? They were entwined. Um, It apparently turned out that not only did FTX offer this line of credit uh, this liquidity to help BlockFi over the summer, but mm. BlockFi was then depositing its assets on FTX. Yeah. So it becomes this sort of 
disastrous closed circle where not only is the line of credit not valid anymore, but then whatever assets they did have are locked in a bankruptcy case. Yeah, so let's just like refresh ourselves on the chronology of this because BlockFi had to suspend withdrawals over the summer and that was in the aftermath of the Terra Luna collapse. As you say, it borrowed money from FTX US and was given a credit line that allowed withdrawals to resume. And then when FTX flamed out earlier this month, um, withdrawals at BlockFi had to be suspended again. And we now know in court filings that BlockFi had $671 million in outstanding loans that Alameda defaulted on. And they've also got, as you say, $355 million in assets that are now frozen on FTX. So a very messy situation overall. Um, Sam Bankman-Fried's companies owe more than $1 billion to BlockFi. Um, And unfortunately, the gloomy statistics don't end there because they've got over 100,000 creditors at the moment, BlockFi does. And uh, yeah, it's just going to be no end in sight. So the three biggest creditors on the books are owed more than $1 billion. And actually, interestingly, one of the biggest is the US Securities and Exchange Commission. There was a settlement that BlockFi had reached with the SEC earlier this year. And apparently, BlockFi still owes $30 million to the SEC. Um, A crypto expert told Coindesk this week, Molly Jane, that the SEC will probably be one of the first to receive payment from BlockFi's estate. And they think that BlockFi's customers could end up at the back of the queue. That's upsetting. Hmm. (laughs) I Yeah, it's, you know... I've also written about that a lot this week. The world has written about that a lot this week. This is the time that the market is learning the hard way what not your keys, not your coins truly means. If you give your crypto to someone else to hold on for, you are putting trust in them and that trust can be misplaced. And also, I, I, I it just really staggers me how... One crypto company holds funds with another crypto company, which holds funds with another crypto company. It's just, why why did no one think of this as a potential risk? I just don't get it. I don't get it either. And and Sam said this, I think it was at the DealBook interview, I'm already confusing his <laughs> many public interviews, was that they had, you know, uh, what's it called? They had they had done things to anticipate a thirty percent drop in the market, but not a ninety five percent drop. And yeah. the thing is, although I don't think you should live your life in fear of the financial markets, but I wake up every day with the understanding that crypto could literally go to zero because it's just such a new industry. And I just, if you build all of these products with the understanding that crypto will never, ever, ever go to zero, that no currency, cryptocurrency will go to zero, this is when you end up with situations like this. And Sam said it himself. He said that he spent zero hours a day on risk. Yeah. And of course, BlockFi, just like Celsius and Voyager before it, one of these companies that offered interest rates that far beat what was on offer from mainstream banks, and it all just seems too good to be true now when you look at the, you know, the types of yields that were on offer. <laughs> I'm not going to be an I told you so, but 
when I saw BlockFi's yields, I first put money in and then I took it out a month later because I thought, I don't understand how this works and I don't want my money here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a really sensible thing to do. And there's a quote that's been going around on crypto Twitter, hasn't there? Um, almost in the same league as not your keys, not your Bitcoin. But the quote is, if you don't understand the yield, you, you are, the, are yield. the yield. Yeah. 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 Um, oh dear. So um, that's going to be unfolding in the weeks and months and probably years to come, unfortunately. And we'll bring you more on that when we know about it. But let's talk about some other news now, Molly Jane. And Elon Musk kind of went on a collision course with Apple this week. He did, but then he avoided it by walking around a pond with Tim Cook. <laughs> so let's let's kick off by talking about what caused this beef because he started to pick a fight with Apple accused the company of censoring um he accused Apple of censorship attacked the 30% fee that Apple charges when any, when anything's purchased through an iPhone and then Elon Musk said that Apple had mostly stopped advertising on Twitter and asked whether Apple hates free speech in America it's a bizarre technique to publicly name and shame the companies that are no longer advertising on Twitter, isn't it? Especially because Apple is not known for backing down with companies that antagonize them in this way. You yeah. know, they will they will just remove you from the App Store. They removed Fortnite. They don't care about the money. They're like, you're not working out for us. This isn't in our terms of service. Goodbye. Yeah. But also, it was patently untrue that Apple had stopped advertising. They were still advertising quite a bit. Well, I, I've said many times in this in this call today that I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I do think that Elon Musk does tweet things in a very calculated way, and I'm I'm quite sure that he knew that Apple was still spending and did this as sort of some strange plot. That's what I think. Elon Musk does not tweet in a calculated way. He's walking contradiction <laughs> he talks about the fact that he wants twitter to become the most accurate reliable place for information in the world then this week he shares a completely fake screenshot of apparently a cnn um interview which had completely inaccurate wrong made up straps so much so that birdwatch the accuracy tool that he created and introduced ended up having to fact check his own tweet well, maybe he's not, you know, being calculated like five steps ahead. Maybe he's being calculated like one step ahead the second that he does something. Well, if he goes more than one step ahead, he ends up falling flat on his face, doesn't he? So <laughs> He does. Um, well, but not into the pond. <laughs> not into the pond. Well, as you say, um, Elon Musk and Tim Cook had a good conversation, resolved a misunderstanding, and Elon Musk said... Among other things, we resolved the misunderstanding about Twitter potentially being removed from the App Store. Tim was clear that Apple never considered doing so. So why did Elon Musk think that they had? I don't know. No. I, I have no idea. I mean, I will say this. Maybe, just maybe. I mean, there have been all sorts of fatalistic assumptions that Twitter was going to fall over. It hasn't yet. No, it hasn't. Um, and Donald Trump hasn't tweeted yet, so you may not. Thank God for small blessings. <laughs> uh, someone someone uh, did a funny tweet and they were like saying, how is it that Donald Trump has resisted the urge to post on Twitter and I'm still here like shit posting every day? 
Yeah, I don't know. I've I I have to think that the explanation is like he forgot his password, or maybe like he's in a coma secretly or something. Yeah, maybe <laughs> his hands have been removed. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Um. So plenty more to talk about. Let's move on to the sad news that a Russian crypto billionaire has died. He was killed in a helicopter crash en route to Monaco. Vyacheslav Taran was the only passenger on this flight. He was the founder of the Libertex Group and Forex Club. And there's been tributes saying that he's going to be missed more than words can express. And everyone at Libertex will be eternally grateful for what he's accomplished. Molly Jane, I will tell you that there has been some speculation in British tabloid media this week because one newspaper noted that three crypto executives have died in mysterious circumstances in the space of a month i see in the notes you wrote coincidence probably (laughs) not explain yourself please it's a lot of conjecture really i mean these um deaths are not going to be linked um, the one unusual detail with this Russian crypto billionaire's death, he was the only passenger, as I mentioned, on the flight from Monaco to Switzerland. There had been another passenger who apparently was meant to be on the flight with him, but apparently they cancelled at the last minute, meaning that there's been all sorts of conspiracy theories going around on Twitter on that one. But last week, Tian Tian Cullender, who was the co-founder of the Amber Group, died unexpectedly in his sleep. And at the end of October, um, Nikolai Mushkian, who was the co-founder of MakerDAO, he drowned in Puerto Rico after being dragged out to sea by currents. And he tweeted a lot of unusual stuff in the days before he died, basically suggesting that if he were to die, the CIA was responsible. Why are we talking so much about conspiracy theories on this particular podcast today? I don't know. I just, like, let me put on my tinfoil hat for a second. Mm. What's the connection between these three people? There isn't. There isn't. There's truly none besides they all work in cryptocurrency? Some, I imagine, would be making the point that if, given the fact that the crypto bear market has happened and things have gone really bad for many businesses, you know, some would question, are these deaths linked by the bear market? I'm not necessarily sure that is the case, but... I mean, I was thinking more, it's like, did they all attend the same party? Have they dated the same woman? Like, (laughs) where's the link? Show me the link. Uh, I don't think there is a link, but it is, nonetheless, despite that, it is interesting that three crypto executives have died in a month. It is. No, that is unusual. It is unusual. It is unusual. Okay, um, let's move on and talk about Kraken. Yet another company now announcing that they are going to be cutting jobs. In this case, Kraken says that it's going to cut 30% of its workforce, um, 1,100 staff members, meaning that the headcount is going to be back to where it was uh, 12 months ago um, as it takes steps to weather the crypto winter. The one thing I find pretty galling about this, Molly Jane, is that as recently as June... We were in the we were in the situation where Jesse Powell, after Coinbase had cut loads of jobs, they were saying Kraken was saying, "Oh, we're going to hire five hundred people. We're going to really grow our ranks. We're immune to the crypto winter. We're sensible." 
And here we are. <laughs> they love doing that. They love saying that. But so many crypto businesses do this. They go, oh, we're not going to be the one cutting jobs. And inevitably, then they do. I just don't understand why you have to say anything at all. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. But um, Jesse Powell, who soon is actually going to be stepping down as CEO, said that it's been a rough day. And he said that recent industry woes diminished near-term optimism about a crypto rebound, a clear reference there to FTX. And macroeconomic and geopolitical factors have weighed on financial markets, causing crypto trading to plummet. But Kraken now joins the graveyard of Crypto.com, which cut 2,000 staff. Unchained cut 650. Galaxy Digital, 170. Dapper Labs, 130. Crypto Exchange, BitMEX, 50. Loads of loads of companies have cut staff, haven't they? Not Binance yet. <laughs> yes, not, not Binance yet. And mm-hmm. they're, um, they, they are still hiring. Still hiring. This week. Still hiring. <laughs> Ominous. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm truly just stating a fact. Yes, yes. They're, they're, they are still hiring. Yes. Well, Binance, ladies and gentlemen, is the parent company of Coin Market Cap. So, <laughs> if we suddenly fall off air next week, <laughs> I've said I'm only saying good things. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, This wasn't the only Kraken story this week, was it, Molly Jane? Because we also had the news that Kraken had made a settlement with the US over um, the sanctions violations because they let Iranian nationals use its services when they weren't meant to. And they could, in theory, have been in line for a penalty of $272 million. How much did they pay? 362,000. Pennies. Couch change. Couch change. 99.8% discount on what the fine could have been. That's pretty extraordinary. Well, I think that would probably come from collaboration with regulators, right? You know, you show remorse, you say we'll do better, and then they give you a slap on the wrist. And our esteemed colleague, Leo Jacobson, who was looking into this for us this week on CoinMarketCap, Alexandria said that there are a couple of reasons why the fine was low. Kraken reported the violation itself. The problem was a technical flaw that allowed Iranians to get around Kraken's generally good know-your-customer controls. And the company also agreed to spend another $100,000 to improve its compliance systems. I weirdly feel like you could make a parallel between what Kraken did and what Sam Bankman-Fried thinks he is doing. Mm. Which is what Kraken did is they said, hey, like, U.S. government, look at this error we found. Let's pay a fine and work on it together. And I'm assuming at some point they said, we're sorry. Mm. And I imagine that Sam Bankman-Fried is trying to say, hey, world, I messed up. It's my fault. I'm sorry. I don't know. Yeah. It's not getting the same results, though. Would have been best to have done that before the bankruptcy, wouldn't it? It, Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, yes. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody, delve in, get your saddest, tiniest violins. Uh, you're going to need it for this next story. (laughs) Uh, the Financial Times have the sad news that Miami nightclubs are suffering dramatically because of the bear market. Mm. Once upon a time, 
Crypto entrepreneurs were blowing $500,000 on renting clubs exclusively for an evening, buying 12 to 24 bottles of the most expensive champagne. They wouldn't even drink it. They'd just spray it on themselves. And now, apparently, Molly Jane, the crypto bros have completely disappeared from the scene. I'm playing my violin. I am too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like there were a few articles like this a few months ago, which was that watches formerly favored by crypto bros were going up for resale on luxury yeah. websites. Yeah. People are people are trying to get liquid. People are not buying liquids. <laughs> <laughs> The, the crypto market was bubbly, and now it's flat. Uh, but one club that accepts crypto as a payment method said it processed $6 million worth of transactions last year, and it's dwindled to just $10,000 over the past three months. I oh, can no. testify to this, Molly Jane, because we have talked about this before. But, you know, after all of the largesse of the, of the bull market, when I went to Bitcoin Amsterdam and I went to a party for whales held in this club, the, the highlight of the evening was <laughs> pieces of bread that had tomatoes on it, oh. grown grown in greenhouses powered by excess heat from mining. Like, yeah. that was just surreal. Uh, oh, speaking no. of excess, you know what this just reminded me of? What's that? This summer, you and I were both at many crypto conferences. We attended various types of parties. And one party I did not attend, but my friend did, was the this FTX party in Paris during Mm. an event this summer where they had rented out an entire boat for the night. And my friend arrived fashionably late. Yeah. And he was the only one there. Are you kidding? Yep. And so he turned around and left. Mm Mm-hmm. So so FTX hired a boat and no one was there? Yep. Not even people from FTX? Nope. Just a DJ playing to an empty boat. <laughs> With like <laughs> FTX a- signs and balloons and things. So I think this is an example of largesse. You know, you throw a party and, and, and you don't even get people to show up. Well, you know what? Your friend literally abandoned a sinking ship. <laughs> <laughs> that he did. That he did. That he did. I hope the DJ got out. <laughs> uh, uh, right. Finally today, let's talk about crypto literacy. There is an annual crypto literacy survey. We actually talked about this last year, Molly Jane, and I asked you a couple of questions from this quiz. So last year, 4% of Americans passed a 30-question quiz asking basic questions about crypto. This year, 9%. Um, ended up receiving a passing grade of 60%. But here's the problem. 9% passed the quiz, but 32% own cryptocurrencies. (sighs) They're the yield. (laughs) (laughs) Let me posit a question to you, though. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, there will be many people potentially listening to this and in wider society who have pension funds and their pension funds invest in all sorts of stocks and ETFs and all other things. And many people who have pension funds won't necessarily understand how their pension works. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It's that mm. I don't necessarily think that everyone has a bank account with their dollars in it. Yeah. Fully understands that their dollars aren't just like sitting there in a box marked like Connor's, Connor's pounds. It's mine. Do- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that 
I'm not saying you have to understand, you know, like how a blockchain node works in order to be mature enough or educated enough to own cryptocurrency. On the other hand, I will say that because crypto has all of these weird caveats to it, mm. where like you put your money on an exchange that you think is like as safe as a bank, for example, FTX, mm. and then it is all gone. You know, I had friends the other day that were talking about crypto you know they they they're sort of digital nomads they they move around a lot and they're not they're artists they're not crypto digital nomads and i asked them how they get money to different countries to their families and they're like oh we just use a stable coin because it's always equal to one dollar forever and i was like have you heard of luna have you heard of terra they're like no, no hang on hang on i don't think you can pair i don't think you can like put luna and like usdc or tether in the same box. Luna oh, I definitely an... think you can. I definitely no, think you can. No, you can't because Luna was an algorithmic. Sorry, UST, I should say, was an algorithmic stable coin, um, which didn't have any reserves. Well, until it had, a, I guess, it had a bit of Bitcoin towards the end as a reserve. It was mainly dictated by code, whereas USDC and hopefully Tether are actually backed by dollars in bank accounts. Mostly. No, see, Connor, you and I know that. My crazy artist friends that travel the world see the word stablecoin and they think it's the, it's a stablecoin. They would not be able to differentiate between Luna, Tether, and USDC. That's a fair point. That's I my mean, point. Uh, yeah, I get it. I mean, I guess they would be able to now because UST is probably worth like fractions of one cent. They would be able um, to now, but I imagine... I just I imagine that if another stablecoin came into the market that was somehow favorable to the country they were in or the exchange they were using, they would ask no questions. And that is where I think crypto literacy is important. Yeah. Well, um, one interesting finding from this survey said that crypto may have a country club problem. Ownership is skewing wealthy and well-educated, and it's more popular with men than women, which has always been the case. 46% of men own crypto. Um, that's up from 22% last year, but women um, ownership, female ownership, only grew from 12% to 18%. I mean, I own crypto. I'm a woman. <laughs> well, you're one of the 18%, Molly Jane. 18 out of 1,000. Okay. No, 18 out of 100. 18% out of 1,000 <laughs> people surveyed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry, I just I thought you didn't know how percent worked. For a brief no, please, <laughs> please explain it to me as a woman. <laughs> well, Molly Jane, what you don't understand, right? <laughs> well... Uh, one thing that I can explain is that is it for this week's Coin Market Recap <laughs> podcast. You're explaining the ending of a show? <laughs> I am. Wow. Because uh, you don't know how this works. I don't. Um, thank you very much for listening. Please do leave us a review if you enjoyed this episode because it helps us reach new listeners. And do, as I say... <laughs> <laughs> do as you say? <laughs> do. Uh, do... <laughs> Check out coinmarketcap.com slash Alexandria for all of the latest twists and turns in the crypto news uh, throughout next week. Um, I am going to be back on Monday. And Molly Jane, I hope you have a wonderful birthday and a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much. I would say Happy you too, birthday. but we missed your birthday. so Yeah, Molly Jane, thanks. Um, <laughs> Crumpet didn't even get me a card. Well, I got you a card with Crumpet in it. The video. 
You yes. remember? Okay. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, no, because you confused me when you said a card. Yeah, it was well, a video. A, an e-card. It was the OK Go, um, the treadmill, and it had all my, my live hamster and my dead hamster on it, and then me <laughs> and my partner as well, all running on treadmills. <laughs> Well, yes. Um, Have a fantastic (laughs) weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye for now. Bye.